What were you doing a week ago at this time? Or some of you are thinking, well, I was right here at River Glen. Others, maybe you were on spring break and hopefully you were able to travel someplace warm. Maybe you were worshiping with us online. And if you're doing that again today, we want to welcome you online. Last weekend, I had the privilege to be at the launch of the very first public service of one church in the Pittsburgh area. Uh, this is a new church that our former staff member, Brandon Stevenson, and his wife, Danielle, are leading. My name is Steve Larson, and last month, Ben uh, announced that I was joining the team uh, on a part-time basis to help lead the church planting ministry, and we'll be here from time to time on weekends as well. Well, Brandon and Danielle, they've been preparing for months, getting ready to start this brand new church, and River Glen has come alongside to help them. About 30 or 40 people from outside of Pittsburgh came into town just to encourage them, friends and family members, many people from here. In fact, last Sunday morning, when I walked into the middle school lobby, I was greeted by a bunch of friendly faces that looked like people from River Glen. I felt like I was in Wisconsin for a couple of minutes. Elizabeth Gilhart won the award for coming the furthest. She came all the way from the University of Nebraska in Lincoln, about an 18-hour drive. So uh, that was a tremendous uh, encouragement to the Stevensons. It was exciting seeing so many people there encouraging them, but it was even more exciting seeing people from the community gathering at the middle school and, and worshiping and meeting together. Uh, all together, including the people from River Glen, there were about 200 people for the launch of one church. Brennan and Danielle are now starting to turn a, a crowd into a church. Many of you have helped along the way in your generosity toward the, the mission of God and, and participating in, in the unfinished initiative has helped make it possible for, for people in Pittsburgh to be reached for Christ. Now, I know that many of you in this room are, are big Packers fans, but don't you think that it's great that there's going to be some Steelers fans in heaven someday too? I mean, that's really a, a tall order for Brandon, isn't it? But I think that we serve a big God, and something like that is doable. And you've had a hand in helping to make a difference in the Pittsburgh area, and it's exciting seeing churches planted so that God's work can continue to expand. Heaven's population is increasing, and that's definitely worth celebrating. Another thing worth celebrating this time of year is Easter, and as followers of Jesus, we celebrate an empty tomb. I mean, it's the foundation of our faith. A couple of centuries ago, there was another big celebration going on. Lots of people were there, and it was actually a religious festival. This party was in Jerusalem, and Jews from every corner of the world traveled great distances to their national festival, the Passover. It's estimated that nearly 2.5 million people crowded their way into Jerusalem that weekend. Jesus could not have chosen a more dramatic moment as the city was surging with people. They were fired up with religious expectations regarding his coming. Many called Jesus' entry into those weekend festivities the triumphal entry. He came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and this large crowd received Jesus like he was their king. They spread their jackets and, and their cloaks in front of him. They cut down and they waved palm branches, kind of like the ones that you were given today when you, when you came in here. That's what was done when they were celebrating a, a notable victory in their culture. The people of Jerusalem, they were feeling like winners when Jesus arrived. They started shouting, Hosanna, which means save now. I mean, it was often their cry to their king or, or to their God for help when they felt like they were under much distress. 
They were thinking that Jesus was going to solve all the issues and lead a great revolution during this gathering. Tens of thousands of people, they sought to give honor to Jesus, the one that they viewed as their possible new king. Jesus came into town riding on a donkey. I mean, in our time, we don't think too much about donkeys. Some would even call them despised beasts. But in the East, the donkey was a noble animal. Often when a king came riding into, on a donkey, it was a sign that he came in peace. The horse was indicative of a war or an uprising, but the donkey was a sign of peace. And when Jesus claimed to be king, he was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey claiming to be the king of peace. Jesus showed that he came not to destroy, but to save, not to condemn, but to help, not carrying arms, but operating with a language of love. But people in Jesus' zone, they wanted an entirely different kind of king. One week later, the partying stopped, the, the celebrating ceased, and Jesus was abandoned by nearly all of them. I mean, if there were 2.5 million people in town for the Passover, 2,499,995 turned their back on him. In fact, Jesus was rejected in such an extreme manner that a week later we find him hanging on a cross, staring death in the face. We're currently in a series around here called Famous Last Words. We're looking at some of the words or phrases that Jesus said while he was staring down death. Oftentimes, we we place particular significance on the last words that are spoken by someone before they pass away. Before he died on that cross, Jesus said some things that were quite significant too. So today, we want to take a look at some of those famous last words of Christ, and we plan on looking backward and digging into some of those words. And we plan on looking inward and and seeing if we can understand a bit more where Jesus was coming from, and then we'll plan on taking a look forward so that we can all take a step in the right direction as a result of this life-altering event on Calvary. Backward, inward, and forward. Are, Are you ready? It was sometime between 9 a.m. and noon, and Jesus was hanging on the cross, dying a a painful death. Nearly all of his disciples were gone. They were part of that 2.5 million people. They were afraid and confused. A few women, encouraging supporters, had gathered near the cross. One of the women that gathered near the cross was Jesus' mother, Mary. No longer a teenager. She now probably was near 50 years old. She's viewed as a senior citizen in their culture, probably a widow at that point as well. Mary seeing her son brutally executed before her own eyes, that must have been excruciating. Mary, the wife of a man named Clopas, was also there. We don't know much about Mary, but that particular Mary, but we know she was a committed follower of the Lord. Another Mary, Mary Magdalene was also there. And previously, Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. She traveled with him and shared her material resources with Jesus and the disciples. Her life had been completely changed. On that Easter Sunday morning, it was Mary Magdalene who was the first one to the tomb. Jesus' aunt, his his mother's sister, was there as well. Many believe it was a lady named Salome who was the mother of James and John. And that would make John a cousin to Jesus. John, the, the disciple whom he loved. He was present at the cross. Anyone else? That's it. Five faithful followers. Everyone else ran. They hid. 
Jesus had, had a dozen guys that he spent the bulk of his time with over the past three and a half years. And, and four women and John were the only ones that remained at the cross. Looking backward, everyone at the cross thought that Jesus was finished. From Mary's perspective, they were killing his, her son. They were even gambling over his clothes. In the middle of all the pain and agony, Jesus noticed Mary. Instead of thinking about himself, he considered her needs. Years earlier, when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord, the old prophet Simeon warned Mary. He said, a sword will pierce your own soul. Well, the piercing of her soul was taking place at Calvary, and Jesus saw her agony as he watched. He saw Mary standing there with a broken heart, and he cared for her. He did what he could for her. He couldn't take away her pain, but he could help provide her with some care. Just a short time before his death, Jesus lived out that fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. I mean, Joseph had already passed away. It was Jesus who was responsible for his mother's care. And while Jesus had half-brothers, they weren't around at that time. They didn't start believing into his ways until after the resurrection. They thought Jesus was off his rocker when he was on the cross dealing with physical pain along with the pain of an unbelieving family with no other family nearby, Jesus turned to Mary and to John. And from the cross, he was kind of speaking his last will and testament. Standing next to Mary, John heard some of Jesus' famous last words firsthand where Jesus said, Dear woman, behold your son. And turning to John, he said, Son, behold your mother. In the Aramaic language, that term mother is one of affection. And Jesus helped to craft a new mother and son relationship. Even while dying for the sins of the world, Jesus cared for his family. On the cross, Jesus didn't say mother. He said, dear woman, dear woman, you were the one who gave birth to me. We have a shared DNA. You raised and fed and clothed me. You were there when I learned to talk and to walk and, and to eat. You watched me as I went off to school on that very first day. You, you took me to the synagogue and on annual trips to the temple. You loved me as only a mother can love her son. Now your heart is crushed and your spirit is broken. A prophecy has come true. A sword has pierced your heart. Mary had probably been grieving for years because of her son's calling and, and his nature as God had increasingly taken away the little boy whom she loved, whom she raised. Now he's dying on the cross. John, standing next to Mary, followed Jesus with all his heart. And when Jesus said, care for, his care for this woman as your mother, Scripture records that John did not bat an eye. And he took her in from that day forward. <laughs> Quite frankly, looking backward, I find it incredible that as Jesus was dying on the cross, he had the sensitivity to think about others more than himself. He honored his mother. He saw to her that she was taken care of and, and basically said to her, John's like a brother to me. With this new situation, you're going to be okay. And having spent some time reflecting on these famous last words of Jesus, it, it's caused me to take a look inward. And I, I, I think together we may gain some insight. I mean, isn't it interesting that honoring your parents made God's top 10 listing? Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 says, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And this word honor means to respect, to, to treat someone with value and worth. 
And that's what Jesus did while he hung on the cross. What kind of qualities or what kind of character did Jesus have in order to focus in on and honoring his mother while he was dying on that cross? Let's take a look inward. Let's reflect together on the kind of qualities, the character qualities Jesus displayed while being crucified, while his life was on the brink. I mean, he, he was humble. Humility. I mean, that word humility has this idea of laying yourself low. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus emptied himself. He, he humbled himself and went to the cross. He put others ahead of himself. Other leaders in this world will say, follow me and be willing to die for me. But Jesus said, follow me and I'm willing to die for you. Author and pastor Rick Warren once said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Being humble was such a major part of Jesus' makeup that it would have been a surprise if Jesus had not taken care of his mother from the cross. That's who he was and who he is, filled with humility. How can we humble ourselves? Some people try to give an appearance of humility in order to manipulate others. Others think that humility means putting themselves down. But truly humble people compare themselves only with Christ and they realize their sinfulness, they understand their limitations. On the other hand, they also recognize their gifts and their strengths and they're willing to use them as Christ directs. Humility is not self-degradation. It's a realistic assessment and a commitment to serve. The kind of character that honors others begins with a humble heart. What else do we find as we look inward? Well, Jesus was obedient. He was obedient. Philippians 2 verse 8 says that not only was Jesus humble, but Paul says this, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus was mistreated like no other, yet he continued to ace that obedience class. Shortly before going to the cross, he spent an entire night in prayer. Jesus struggled during that night. He prayed, Father, take this cup away from me. In other words, I'd really rather not have to do this. But then he added, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Not my will, thy will. When was the last time that you prayed something even remotely close to that? <laughs> I've often prayed, Lord, help me not to have to do this. It's kind of a Lord, rescue me prayer. But if I'm honest... It's been far too long since I prayed, Lord, I'm willing, what will you have me to do? How about you? And how do you handle it when you're mistreated? Are you obedient anyway? A few months ago, I was traveling down to Oklahoma to help a church with their ministry, and I, I traveled there with another colleague of mine, and we were going to lead a, a banquet with the church's leaders on Saturday night, and then my colleague was speaking at the church and the worship services on Sunday morning. You can hardly get there from the north, and, and I was scrambling to get there on time, and fortunately, I arrived early enough, and, and, and I uh, was trying to set my stuff up, so I grabbed my pop-up display and my materials, and I started walking into the fellowship hall at the church. Fortunately, I happened to be one of the first ones to arrive, so I quickly made eye contact with a lady who seemed to be in charge, and she simply said in kind of a stern tone, just put everything over there, and then she walked away. I thought, well, that was kind of a rude welcome, but maybe I misread her. I gave her the benefit of the doubt, and I stood there for a minute or two and trying to figure out the correct place to set my stuff up, and 
Once again, she came up to me and she said very abruptly, just put everything over there, off to the side. And she pointed toward a couple of tables that they had set up. And I started walking over there and then she looked a little more closely at what I was carrying. And then she came up to me and said, oh, I'm sorry, I thought you were the pizza guy. I, I didn't know that you were here to help lead the banquet. Here, let me help show you around a little bit more. We'll get everything all set up. And once she realized who I was, she couldn't have been more pleasant. <laughs> but that doesn't make it right, does it? She spent the rest of that evening and part of the next morning making a couple more attempts trying to be extra nice to me since she'd been so rude at the very beginning. And to tell you the truth, I didn't feel much like being all that nice to her after that. I mean, if she's going to be rude to someone with a lower status, that kind of ticked me off, and it was all I could do to keep from giving her a hard time, which begs the question, what kind of a servant are you when you're treated like one? I mean, Jesus obeyed when mistreated. He obeyed anyway, and that's my goal, too. Even when dying on the cross, even when being severely mistreated, Jesus uttered those famous last words, words that honored. He was humble. He was obedient. You know another quality Jesus had enabling him to honor his mother and others? He noticed. Jesus was a noticer. He noticed people, especially the underdogs, from little children in the audience when he was giving a difficult teaching about marriage to to Zacchaeus, a short guy climbing a sycamore tree trying to get a better view. <clears throat> Jesus said to him, Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house for lunch today. It was a life-changing experience for Zacchaeus. Uh, Jesus noticed the guy that had been lying next to the pool, the healing pool, for 38 years while others simply passed by. Another time he noticed a, a beggar by the side of the road that had been born blind. Not only did he notice him, but he healed him because that's who Jesus is. I mean, if there was ever a time where one would expect Jesus to pay a little more attention to his own situation, it was when he was hanging from the cross. Yet, while on the cross, Jesus looked out at that small handful of supporters who had gathered, and he noticed his mother and his good friend John. He's concerned for both of them. Do you know anyone like that? Is there a person in your family that's always had a soft spot in their heart for the underdog? They volunteer with the food pantry. They give a, a few bucks to the down-and-out person, even when they're not sure the funds will be used appropriately. They proudly display a picture of their compassion child on the outside of their refrigerator. One of our country's most quoted writers, William Arthur Ward, one time said, Flatter me, and I may not believe you. Criticize me, and I may not like you. Ignore me, and I may not forgive you. Encourage me, and I will not forget you. Encourage me, and I will not forget you. You have no idea what kind of impact that you can make on someone else when you notice them. I mean, when you notice someone, it encourages them. And Jesus did that everywhere he went, and he even did it on the cross. And while he was on that cross, Jesus noticed a couple others too. Not only did he notice them, but he chose to overlook their offenses. Jesus overlooked their offenses and, and forgave overlook. I mean, it's tough to overlook an offense, isn't it? Uh, that first phrase he uttered from the cross, some of his famous last words were words illustrating Jesus's character. Noticing and speaking about those that were destroying his body and, and putting him to death, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He prayed 
for his executioners. He, he sought to overlook their offenses, their, their sins. He was crucified next to a common criminal. He, he noticed him too, and he provided some hope, hope for eternity for him. The thief on the cross asked for forgiveness. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And here's a man who knew very little theology. He only knew that Jesus was a special person who claimed to be a Messiah, who claimed to be a king. And Jesus said to that thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. This could only happen if the Savior was willing to overlook the offenses and forgive the felon. Christian author Max Lucado said, no one would have given him a prayer that day, but that's all he had. And in the end, that's all he needed, and that was enough. For in that moment, a lifetime of moral debt was canceled. When Jesus overlooked his offenders, when he offered forgiveness, in that moment, he performed the greatest miracle of the cross. The greatest miracle of the cross was when Jesus performed this miracle of forgiveness of this man who had nothing to offer back to him, and he washed his sin completely away. Here was a sin-soaked criminal completely cleansed by a blood-stained Savior. Jesus noticed this man and overlooked his offenses. He forgave him. Abraham Lincoln was once asked how he was going to treat the rebellious Southerners when they'd finally been beaten and returned to the Union of the United States. And the questioner expected that Lincoln would take an approach of vengeance. But instead, Abe Lincoln answered, I will treat them as if they had never been away. And that's what Jesus did. And that's what he still does. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says, For it's by grace you've been saved, that not of yourself. It's the gift of God that nobody should boast. And Jesus honored his mother. He honored his friend. He honored others. And the way he did that was by being humble. He was obedient in his cause. He, he noticed others, even the underdogs. He, he overlooked offenses. He offered forgiveness. And Jesus also honored others by being respectful. Respect, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Everyone appreciates being respected, right? I mean, I'm a big Detroit Tigers fan, and, and this season will be considered a success back in Michigan if, if we end up one place above last place. I mean, if we lose less than 100 games, we're going to be thumbs up in Detroit, unfortunately. Tigers are rebuilding, and we have a new manager, former Twins manager, Ron Gardenhire. And the other day, Gardenhire shocked Tigers fans by naming his opening day starting pitcher. He didn't name our 25-year-old all-star. It was our somewhat disappointing, often injured Wisconsin Stevens Point grad, Jordan Zimmerman. And Gardenhire said it was a no-brainer for him. Zimmerman's a seasoned veteran, and he deserves it. Well, for the past two seasons with the Tigers, Zimmerman's been a tremendous disappointment. He spent more time battling injuries than he did pitching. And I can imagine that after that announcement, Jordan Zimmerman feels a little bit taller, and he's walking with a little more spring in his step because his manager believes in him, and he respects him. When someone believes in you and respects you, you want to give 110%. One day, Jesus was talking with Simon Peter, and Peter had a reputation for being fairly brash, speaking before thinking. It got him into trouble on more than one occasion. Yet Jesus saw his potential. He said, your name has been Simon, but I'm going to call you Petros, which, which meant rock. I'm giving you a new name, Rocky. I believe in you, Peter. I believe in you, Rocky. I'm sure you noticed that Peter's name wasn't mentioned in the followers at the cross. He'd recently denied Christ and gone into hiding. 
Eventually, he showed up again and was welcomed by Jesus after the resurrection. And the scripture tells the story of Jesus having some one-on-one time with Peter, giving him the, uh, the ability to be part of the team again. He told Peter while they were on the shore, Peter, I still believe in you. And Peter felt respected once again. And while he continued making some mistakes along the way, don't we all? A few weeks later, Peter gave that first gospel message, and 3,000 people responded. He helped to launch the church on the day of Pentecost. And Peter was a tremendous leader for Christ until he died. And I believe that a lot of it had to do with the fact that Peter felt respected by Jesus. I mean, that's one of the ways that Jesus honored others with his life. I mean, when you're looking inward at your own life, are you a, a person of honor? Do you honor your parents? Do you, do you honor your family, your friends, and others? Are you humble? Are you obedient? Do you notice others? Do you overlook an offense? Are you respectful? As we're looking forward, will implementing one of these characteristics help you become a a person of honor as we go forward? I didn't share this last night because I feel like it might have been a little too raw, but I'm going to try to do it this morning. Last time I was with you, I told you that my mom had passed away this past summer, a few months ago, and, and when that happened, now, we moved my dad to uh, assisted living up in the East Lansing area where we live because it's too hard for dad to stay in the condo by himself. And, and uh, about two months ago, dad passed away as well, nine weeks ago uh, tomorrow. And, uh, you know, I had a chance to honor my dad uh, over those last seven months that he was here. And it, it was amazing. Uh, Dad was in assisted living, had kind of his own little apartment, but we'd go visit, my wife Shelly and I'd go visit him. Shelly only missed two days in seven months of visiting. I'd, I'd saw Dad whenever I was in town, and uh, we took him on field trips, went out to the cider mill one time, we took him to the MSU, uh, Michigan State Rose Garden, went to the dairy and had ice cream. We'd, we'd go out to dinner once in a while, and Dad couldn't walk any longer. He had one of those uh, four-wheel drive scooters, you know, and he'd ride his little scooter in the restaurant, ride by the table. People look at him, he'd say, it's like I'm at Disney World all day long, you know. He really made the best of that, you know, and he continued to work. At that time, he was in his early 80s, and I'd take him down to our little shop sometimes for, for the day, and he'd work on some projects. He even did something right up till Christmas on that end. He invented a, a thing when he was at this assisted living center. It was a portable pump that he could put onto his scooter, and he would water all the plants on the grounds at their, at their place and got the nickname Water Boy. He said, uh, everybody, they didn't know his name. They just called him Water Boy there, you know. And he said, I feel like I'm one of the staff members around here. And he just made the, the, made the best of a difficult time. But uh, he went to our house for Christmas, and Christmas night he went to the hospital with, with pneumonia. And a couple weeks later he went, came back, and he just couldn't quite regain his strength, and he went to sleep one night, and they called me and said, hey, your, dad, your dad's passed away, and uh, we had a celebration of life service for him. He had a big impact on people, and uh, looking back, though, you know, over those seven months up to the middle of, from July to the middle of January, I have to say that was probably one of the most fulfilling seasons that I've ever had in my life where I got to... Um, honor my dad. You know, it was a, that was really a fulfilling time for me. And, and today, you, you have an opportunity to do something very similar. You know, when you came in here, you were given a palm branch. It's kind of a reminder. You know, this, it's a reminder that we can all honor Christ and others with our lives. That was the intention back in the day, and they didn't hold, hold to it. 
But we have a chance, and as we've looked inward, to say, okay, I want to be a person of honor too. And this palm branch, as you take it with you today, can be a reminder for you to say, you know, I, I, maybe I need to be humble in this area. Or, or here's, here's some place in it where God's calling me to be obedient. Or who, who do I need to, to notice this week? Is, is there an offense that I should overlook for someone? Or is there someone that needs an injection of respect from me? And if so, I, I think you can become a, a person of honor. Can you use your palm branch as a reminder to honor someone that you come into contact with this Easter season? Can you imagine what it would look like around here where, where, where you live and where you work and, you, and where you play if hundreds of people from River Glen take this challenge seriously? When we get serious about following Christ in this way, we can make such a difference for him. It'd be amazing. I've heard that there's a small cathedral outside of Bethlehem that marks the supposed birthplace of Jesus. And behind a high altar in a church is, is a, a cave, a, a little cave lit by silver lamps. And, and you can enter the main structure and, and admire the ancient arch, or you can also enter that quiet cave where a star is embedded in the floor recognizing the king. But there's one stipulation. You have to stoop. The door is so low, you can't go in standing up. And the same is true with Jesus. I mean, you can see the world standing tall, but... To witness the Savior, you have to humble yourself. You have to get on your knees. Jesus Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of the servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for Jesus. I mean, it sounds simplistic, but it has so much meaning. Uh, his humility on the cross, looking for others. Wow, what an example for us. Would you, would you inspire us to make a difference with our lives? Thank you for the hope that we have because we know that Jesus didn't stay on that cross and there's an empty tomb that we celebrate and this is the season that we're reflecting even more on that. Thank you for the forgiveness that we have as a result of that hope. And, and uh, we, we want to be like you. So give us the strength and the courage to take that next step forward in that journey. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shortly before Jesus had gathered, went to the cross, he gathered with his disciples and they had the, the Last Supper. They didn't know the time it was called the Last Supper, but looking back, that's what it was. And, and Jesus didn't ask us to do many things. But one thing he did ask us to do is to remember him. So when we gather together on weekends like this, we try to remember him, and we remember his body, we remember his blood, as it's a, a, a symbol that says this is what happened on the cross, and this gives us hope. So we don't just remember him on the cross, we remember that empty tomb as well when we share together in communion. And you'll receive a double-stacked cup with a little piece of bread and juice that you'll, you can take as the song is being sung and the ushers come forward and distribute those, but we can remember him together. So let's do that at this time.